0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Gentleman Gorilla Small Business Marketing Podcast. Today, I am joined by Ashton Harvey, and he started the Significant Edge Academy, where he basically goes into businesses and teaches them that if you don't have sales, you're not going to have a business, and then he shows them how to do it. So, Ashton, thank you for joining me today. Can you please uh, introduce yourself to the people, tell them a little bit more about yourself and uh,
1: the Significant Edge Academy? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I I really uh, think this is a great setup. I think this is a great idea. Um, You know, I just want to say the the reason why I'm even here is because I saw a message that you put out there, uh, I want to say it was about a month ago or so, about helping restaurant owners, right, and just for Mm -hmm. free, just wanting to help them out and get their marketing up, up to date. I firmly believe in adding massive value to your clientele, um, especially in this time during COVID-19. Uh, and so uh, that struck a chord with me, and that's why I'm really excited to be here with you and your audience, because it seems to me that your your mindset has always been with adding value. Uh, so, and, and that's really what The Significant Edge is all about, right? Um, you know, a lot of people really focus in on the success, right, and, and, and achieving success, and so I'm like, if I can change the way that we view success and not uh, this idea of making a lot of money and, and, and going after the cars and, and going after the travel and all the amazing life, if I can refocus people's minds on uh, becoming significant, right? Mm-hmm. Making an impact, making a difference. All of those things that I just said are naturally drawn to you. And so um, when I initially started the company, if uh, if, if that was a question, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's uh, all right. <laughs> but uh, the, initially... It started with the idea that I want to help business owners Business owners um, create, a, create new innovative ideas okay. uh, and bring it to market. What I started to quickly realize is that at the end of the day, you can come up with the best ideas. You can have the best, you know, uh, the best product out there on the market, but if nobody knows who you are and you're not willing to go out and sell it, Um, that is the number one killer of businesses. And it kind of goes back to what you just said earlier. And so when you look at that statistic of 90% of small businesses go out of business, uh, it's because they don't have sales. It's because they don't have a marketing plan. Mm -hmm. And, um, most people who are like, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a business owner, I'm the CEO, I'm the founder, whatever you want to call yourself. Um, when you're starting your business, you're the number one salesperson. And so that's what has developed over the, over the course of like the past year and a half where I've been going into these businesses and, you know, they have these sales teams and I'm like, the reason why you're struggling is because your sales team sucks. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and most salespeople will not like it sugar. It's like, yeah, you know, it's just not up to par. You're not best in class or whatever. It's like, no, your sales team sucks and they, they're not given the right tools. And so, um, it went from being this business course to being a course about how to be an elite sales professional. Okay. How do you close more deals in higher frequency in shorter sh- sales cycles? And so um, that is what I do now. And the whole idea is that you make more money, you increase your income to increase your impact. That is how we survive in this world. That's how we, that's how we grow as a business. And, um, and that's really what I want to hopefully bring to your audience today. So <laughs> I love it.
0: Okay. So yeah, let's definitely get into this. I, uh, I've done sales for a long time. Um, and I've recently, I guess, rediscovered sales. I think I really hated doing it for a long time. Cause I did it for basically like the first like five years of my professional career. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like, Oh, you make a great salesman. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll do sales. And then after a while you just get kind of burned out on it. And then I went more of like, uh, the networking and branding route for a while and just kind of, um, almost like using nets instead of harpoons. Yeah. You of know? course. Yep. and you know, I'm not going to lie. It worked decently. Well, I don't, I didn't grow as fast as I wanted to, but I also had a very leisurely management style. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, COVID hit and, uh, you know, you lose 80% of your clients and then you turn around and you go, Oh. Well, uh, I guess we have to be more aggressive about getting business now. Yeah. Um, so now it's doing all of the um, like branding and networking stuff. But then on top of that, it's constantly be like, okay, well, time to ask for the close. Mm-hmm. You don't ask for the money, you're mm-hmm. never gonna get it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's things like a lot of big businesses people don't realize are always op- operating at a deficit, but they have strong cash flow because they have yes. a strong sales system. Yes. Like uh, Amazon fulfillment. They, I don't think they've ever been in the black, but Amazon is very profitable because of all of the other businesses that they own. Yep.
1: That's interesting. I
0: didn't, I didn't know that. That's actually a cool statistic to actually think about. But yeah, (laughs) I, I I think that they, the just, if you take away everything that Amazon is and you just have like their fulfillment center, the product ordering, I'm fairly certain that it's never been in the black.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I know that Uber was like that way. I know Uber is still that way. Massive growth. Has not uh, shown a profit for investors at all. Yeah, but they still make
0: money through yeah. cash flow. Yep, and so they're able to employ people and still have a business.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good thing to know, Like especially with business, is that you don't necessarily need to make a profit to make money. It, but like, there's three different sections. There's the profit loss statement, right? Then there's the cash flow statement, and then you have the asset statement, right? Mm-hmm. Where all of them, uh, uh, when you when you look at the like how healthy a business is, most people only look at the profit loss, right, and what you're bringing up is like you look at some of these bigger companies, right like amazon uber um some of these big name companies, their profit loss statements suck, they really do right when you actually look at it, but then their cash flow is so so great that it over overlooks the the profit loss uh that they have, and that's what shows the strength of the company is that cash flow
0: right so exactly I think good. that's why uh like McDonald's is so strong, because they have the assets. Yep. Like they actually buy the properties. McDonald's is a property purchasing company. Yep. And then they build something that creates cash flow on top of that. Right. And then so that's just great. It's like uh, or a Donald Trump. Why um, <laughs> yeah. people people would be like, yeah, he's a billionaire. But he's also still in the red as a business. Right. But he owns over a billion dollars in assets, mm-hmm. but he had almost zero cash flow. So that's crazy. So, yeah, so he, he, he would be cash poor, um, but he would have over a billion dollars in assets in which he could trade at any time for whatever he wanted yeah, and make bit. deals. But that's how mm-hmm. he would get investors.
1: Interesting. Just be
0: like, yeah, I have all of these assets I'm worth a lot of money. I can make these projects happen right. because of my leverage and influence because of what I own as assets, even yeah. though he had almost zero cash flow
1: right I think it's it's so funny we're stuck on this topic because <laughs> I, you know you, you start to think like when you look at the three different pieces of paper, right cash flow assets and, and your profit loss, mm-hmm. then you start to think well I'm like well which, which one's most important? you know what I mean like and it's I, the one that you can convince people is important. That's true. Which I was about comes to say, back to sales. Yeah. I was even I was about to say too, um, it, with the with a lot of big companies, big tech companies right now, uh, a lot of investors have have a lot more faith in people that have cash right now, mm-hmm. right? And the people that are making sales are able to create sales no matter how many assets they have or uh, how how their profit loss margins look or whatever. They're looking at how much cash do you have on hand if all of it went away, right? And like, what is that reoccurring cash that's Mm -hmm. coming in that's going to be able to keep the business afloat? And, um, I think it also depends on the type of environment that you're in. Like, cause I I like to look at how healthy an an economy is based off the stocks, right? And, um, right now we're in this like standstill because we have no, we have no idea what's going on with this COVID-19 situation, Right. Uh, but there are companies that are growing. Tesla, you know, Amazon, uh, ServiceNow, the company that I'm working with right now, growing, right? And mm-hmm. how do these grow? And it's because of the fact that um, in different environments, maybe the pro- like in one environment the the profit loss is more important. In another environment, like the one that we're in, cash is more important, right? Like, what do you have on hand that would be able to help your business sustain in the long run? If for some odd reason we have to go through another shutdown, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I, I yeah, it, I think it's, it's very hit or miss, but I guess the long story short, it's always good to focus on all three of them and making sure that all of them, you can get as much as you possibly can in positive for each one. But I mean, I mean, that's really great. <laughs> that's, that's the goal, right? <laughs> that's the goal. Um, but I mean, that, that, that's something you have to worry about way later down, down the road, but as a small business owner, it's good to, you know, with the, the amount of income that you have coming in, the profit loss is the most important one. Right. Make sure that you're making a profit. Make sure that you're able to stay afloat. Um, and Yeah, because uh, as a small business owner, um, like a lot of times
0: you're either not paying yourself yeah. or you're paying yourself way too little yeah, because you want to or you should be putting everything back into your business to grow it to a point where it's not a small business anymore. Right. And so, yeah, that P&L statement, that's about as important as it gets because it's <laughs> like, uh, okay, well, I made $400 extra this month. Yeah. Do I uh, buy something that I really need? Like uh, I don't know. Like maybe need some new wardrobe because mm-hmm. your shit's just getting worn out. <laughs> or do you turn yeah. around and do you spend that on ads? Yeah. But if you're four hundred dollars in the hole, I mean that might be a difference of two sales mm-hmm. for a small business. But if you're four hundred dollars in the hole, mm-hmm. then you're going into the next month a little fucked. Mm-hmm. So because that took away from maybe four hundred dollars in your ad spend that you could have done to get another yeah. two clients the next month. Yeah. So as a small business, that is such a fine line mm-hmm. because a couple grand either way can make or break you month by month. Yep. And it's, uh, I think that's one of my biggest things I've learned is you don't really play by quarters in small business. Like yeah. you're in big business. Yeah. You're literally playing month by month. Yep. Like, okay. Your biggest bills, like your overhead, like your rent on your office, right. um, your labor. Labor always kills. I know, way, <laughs> I know way too many small business owners where like they need their employees, but then maybe they have a slow month in sales, and then they're a week late on paying their employees, yeah. but then guess what? Then they owe their employees again the next week. Yeah. and then the two weeks again after that. Yeah. And so then it's just this cascading system of just getting fucked on these huge bills. <laughs> and that, that yeah. all comes down to cash flow. Yeah.
1: So, I agree. Uh and I and that comes down to sales and marketing. Period. Right? Like uh I think one of the biggest uh I mean, if you uh, cuz I, I believe that both sales and marketing cuz there there's a fine line, right? Uh between sales and marketing and when you become a big corporation, that, that, that line is a lot more distinct, mm-hmm. right? But when you're just getting started, that line is very blended, right? And where you have the sales aspect where you close a deal, now you have the marketing aspect where you're like, okay, how do we replicate that that same exact situation? Who was the person that you closed? Why did you close them? What did they like about it, right? And, and then you scale that out and that becomes your marketing plan, right? Um, and so uh, a lot of times people uh, want to they they have this idea where where they want to take their company but they've never closed the deal before right and it you don't have to spend a lot of money to do that right all i need to do is go go up to a gentleman like you right i sell sales I, i i'm a sales training program and i and i talk to you and i'm like what's important to you right like where are you guys struggling okay great awesome you're my ideal client right and so when i talk to you i'm like okay He's trying to do this. He's trying to. He's trying to, you know, achieve X, Y, Z. Um, his sales suck. You know, <laughs> uh, obviously we need to tailor that that sales program. Then, you know, me as a sales professional for that one person, uh, I think as a small business owner, I'm not good at marketing. I'm not good at social media. I'm not good at like, you know, uh, looking at the analytics and all that stuff. I'm good at helping people create conversations. That's what I'm good at, right? And so I, I would have to say like. At a certain point, okay, I helped you get, get some sales. Now let me connect you to somebody that I know that's good at marketing, right? Like yeah. that. And I think a lot of people, um, and, and I don't think you're one of them, but a, a lot of marketers um, help say, I'll help you increase your sales, right? Uh, but if a marketer is only as good as the first sale that that person makes. So if a small business owner is coming in and they're like, oh, and they're talking to a marketer, um, hey, I need to, I need to close this deal. The marketer's going to ask them one question. Well, what have you, like, who's your ideal audience? And most small business owners are like, I have no clue.
0: Whoever walks through the
1: door. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> he's like, uh, yeah, anybody who's interested. Well, that's not good as a marketer. You know that, right? No. You're like, you need to know who the heck that person is. So that's where the sales aspect, where you actually have to go in front of people and talk to them and tell them this is the product, you know what I mean? This is, and, and learn how to uh, ask the right questions to get the right answers, right, that mm-hmm. you can then convert into a marketing plan.
0: Yeah, I would say that for a new business, um, sales is what you should be doing as market research. Yes. 100%. Because basically, every time you try and sell something to somebody, you're just going to keep getting told no. Even if you're a great salesperson, <laughs> even if you're a phenomenal salesperson, you're and if you close twenty percent of your deals, yeah. then you're a top-producing salesperson in the world. Yes. Like so. Like, we used to play a game where we, I would do door knocking. We'd sell encyclopedias door-to-door for summer. It was fucking horrible. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's the best way to learn sales. But, so yeah, um, knock on somebody's door. Hi, my name's Greg. I'm a student from the University of no. Wyoming. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so bad. But the point is, we would every day, we would have a competition to see who could get to 100 no's first. Interesting. Because for every hundred no's, you would get one to two sales. Yep. So that mm. was just the numbers that that company had proven over decades of doing this is like, if you get to a hundred no's, you'll get a sale. Yep. And so that was just a process of elimination. Like, just go through. And But what happens in those no's is you learn a hundred ways to not sell yourself. Yep. And so it's like uh, being a photographer. I say every time I click the shutter, I learn something. Yeah. Every time someone slams the
1: door in my face, I learn something. Yeah. And, and I think that that's the important fact that's right, right? Like if you fail, some people fail and then they fail again without learning anything from it. (laughs) And it's just like, what's the, what's the point of that? Uh, And and back to your main point. And I think that it's so hard. Sales is so difficult because so many people focus on the pitch, right? Like I got this amazing product and uh, I've seen it time and time again with a lot of even big corporations, right? When a, when a new salesperson is getting onboarded, the first thing that they do is they start talking about, this is how amazing our products are, and th- you know, like this and the other. And you start having this mentality, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, like, why wouldn't my, my, my clients want this? But then people are saying no, yeah. right? Because at the end of the day, it's not about how amazing your product is, but it's about how good you are at finding their problem that fits the product. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, I think that a lot of us, we have this glorified sense of what our products are. Right? And, and we're like, man, our products are the, sh- the bee's knees. Like, yeah. why didn't anybody want this, right? Everybody's got the best product known to man. Exactly, right? And and we are completely shocked when uh, people say no to our, our pitch. And I think that gets down to the main focus, right, of you need to be able to say, OK, or you need to be able to have a conversation with somebody and ask really good questions. That is the epitome of every good salesperson. Um, like the sales cycle for the company that I work with right now. The fact is, you know, getting your foot in the door is the hardest part, right? Just like kind of building that intrigue. But some of these sales cycles are six to nine months. That's six to nine months of learning, learning more about them, understanding what their needs are. Because you're talking to C-level sweet people, right? Mm-hmm. Like in multi-billion dollar companies. They're not going to buy something right off the bat. They're going to be like, all right, you're going to talk to the IT guy. In the, in the, on, the, on the ground floor, what the heck is, work, what, what, what's going on? What are you guys seeing? You're experiencing this? That conversation, right, that that question and answer situation is going to be completely different because you're going to talk about uh, problems with process, right? Now, when you talk to the C-level suite people, they're going to be talking more about, hey, these are the strategies that, or these are the um, uh, uh, the programs that we're looking to implement. So they're talking about implementation. These guys are talking about process. These guys are talking about implementation, right? When you got, get to the VP level and above, and so when you're, t- so with each person that you're talking to, it's going to be a completely different conversation. So if you're a small business owner, right? Figure out. I mean, most it depends on who you're talking to. So if you are, um, give me an example of uh, a small business that you that you're working with. Um, okay, so I'm working with this company called
0: design approved. They do drafting, design, um, and then like basically home remodeling stuff, like okay. home additions and ADUs, like tiny houses, stuff like that.
1: Okay. So they, uh, and their target market is the contractors or the, uh, uh, the people buying homeowners specifically. Homeowners. Um, I mean, they do do like
0: realtors and contractors and stuff as like referral partners because, okay. you know, you sell them once and then they'll just keep bringing jobs. Right. But in general, Like, we run ads like to homeowners
1: and stuff like that. Okay. And uh, so basically, when, when you were drafting all this up, what have you seen the biggest, or what has been the main focus for those homeowners and the ones that actually buy from them?
0: So the big thing, so this company actually has a serious advantage because the owner came up with a very fast process, but basically they can get the jobs approved faster than anybody else. Oh, okay. And then um, because they're a drafting firm instead of an architecture firm, um, the costs go way down as well in okay. doing the designs. Oh, okay. So it's it's actually a really, it's, as far as sales goes, he has a really good pitch. It's actually pretty nice. Good. But... You know, those are still two pain points Yep. that, you know, he hits, like how long is the job gonna take? Like how long are these people gonna be in my fucking house? Mm. That's the question, like okay, yeah. yeah. Nobody, like if you got contractors in your house, like that's six weeks of, like you gotta pay attention to what's going on, mm-hmm. you know? So if you can take that from six weeks to three weeks, mm-hmm. that's a huge sell. Yep. And then if you can take it from, to do the designs from six grand to even like five grand or four and a half grand, right? then that's okay, yeah. That's
1: half of a mortgage payment. Yeah. So basically what you're doing is you're easing the person of their stressors uh, of of security, Mm -hmm. right? Financial security and then also the fact that there's going to be people walking through your house. Would you want less time people walking through your house or more time people walking through your house, right? And if you are a family man and you have kids and, and a wife and things like that, you're always thinking about different ways to protect them. And when you're opening it up to people for six something odd weeks, right? Or... Uh, even longer, right, to these contractors that you barely even know, uh, it gets scary. And so, yeah, he's hitting on a couple of big main points. But what I what I think the point that I'm trying to make here is the fact that when you're talking to, you know, a person who has a home and this and the other, they're, the, the things that are keeping them up at night are completely different than the things that are keeping up the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, right? Uh, yeah. Especially if they're thinking about expansion or mm-hmm. uh, keep retaining customers and things like that, right? So... Um, being able to tailor that conversation and understanding the the way that you can talk to these people is super super important, right? So um, that thank you for the example because I I, I think that kind of hit the the the, uh, the mark, right? Of course. So becoming more strategic with who you're talking to and how you're talking to them. Exactly.
0: I think that I think that thanks to the internet, there's been a huge shift in how sales processes are approached. Yes. Um, so basically. Like, when I first got into sales, like, 2005, 2006-ish, it was still trailing off of the old style. Like, you show up, you announce yourself, <laughs> and then you basically just try to cover objections uh-huh. and then ask for the sale. Like, yeah, old tricks, like, hand them the pen, slide the paper under, and yeah. it's a mental trick. Like, all right, then they're going to sign. Yeah. Like they're more likely to sign. So mm-hmm. it's basically, like... It's basically a trickster system. Yep. Um, like find find any objections, try and cover them. Try and cover objections before they even bring them up. Yep. And put up any walls. And then so that's kind of that's like a presentation style of sales. Like this is what we have. Yep. But now, thanks to the internet, yeah. <laughs> anybody can find anything that they want in a matter of a half a second. Yeah. Hey yeah. Siri. Yeah. Find me. <laughs> there it goes. I didn't even push the button. But <laughs> she'll, she'll just pop up and start listening sometimes. She's evil, I yeah. swear. But the point is, so now it's more about, like you said, can you solve people's pain points? Mm-hmm. And it's about knowing your customer before you even get to them yep. because your marketing that you did put you in front of the right people because mm-hmm. you did your research on what type of people will actually be interested in buying your product. Yeah. So there's more steps to it on the front end now, I think. And then on the back end, it's just about reassuring people that you can cover those pain points and that you're the right decision. Yep. Because they already know or can easily find multiple solutions or people or options. So Mm -hmm. now it's just about making them like you and making them um, certain that you are the person that can do the job best, Yeah. which is totally different style of sales.
1: Yeah, and and to your point about, uh, I think the, the most successful model, business model nowadays, is the subscription model, Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of companies are going towards that because you start getting a a baseline foundation of sales, in Mm -hmm. essence, reoccurring sales. The person's gonna use your product and then buy it again, right? And when you come in with the the traditional sales model, and mind you, I would say that the traditional sales model still works for certain industries, uh, but for the broader sense, it doesn't work, right? because we now have this thing called uh, you know, buyer's remorse. People mm-hmm. know what the heck that is, right? And so when I buy something and then I, I'm remorseful of it a couple seconds later, what are the odds of me buying from that person again? Or even referring somebody back to that person? Bad.
0: Very bad. My, <laughs> one of my biggest principles is number one rule is always just make them like you and trust you. Mm-hmm. Because even if they say no, chances are at some point they'll know somebody that will want your services. And it happens to me all the time, just yeah. by being friendly and helpful with people. Yeah. Even if I don't end up working with somebody, I had somebody the other day call. They're like, yeah, my ex-fiance referred you. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, <laughs> I never worked with her. I had a phone call with her. I think we were supposed to work together, and then it just fell off. Uh-huh. But now I booked a pretty big job because
1: of it. And right. it's like, oh,
0: hey. Yeah. Like, I don't even, It took me a minute to even remember who he was
1: talking about. Yeah, I was like, this is great. And what I love asking sales professionals or business owners when I first start working with them, I always say um, the sales process looks like this. There's prospecting, right? And then there's the, uh, then there's the um, researching, then there's the pitch, right? And then you're overcoming objections. Then after overcoming objections, you're going to close the deal and then there's the follow-up, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the sales cycle and you continue that process over and over again. But out of all of those steps, which one's the most important one? Prospecting. Okay, why
0: do you say that? Because if you're not finding the right people to start with, then you're just, you're just going to be digging a, in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even, was a bad analogy. I'm sorry. I'll <laughs> that but you know what I'm saying? Like if you, if you don't have the right list of people to call,
1: mm-hmm.
0: then you're just wasting your
1: time. Like, okay. if, if, that's in my opinion. Okay. But number two is follow up. Ah, there we go. That's good. I was about to say, if you couldn't do prospecting, which one would it be? And that's true. The, the most important one is the follow-up, right? Learn about why they bought from you, right? Why, like when you close the deal, why did they, they like, or why did they say, sign the paper? And then on top of that, how can you improve, right? Because at the end of the day, you don't want them just one time around. Right, mm-hmm. you want them to continue buying from you.
0: It's a lot easier to resell somebody than it is to sell somebody the first
1: time. Exactly. A 100%. And um I have you ever heard of the the trust trust quotient? Yes, but I haven't for a long time. It's okay. been a while. So the trust quotient is I mean it's it's very um objective uh, objective, right? When it comes to like how it works but you have the obviously the uh, conversion funnel right where uh, people who know you like you trust you right and the trust is the m- most crucial part right like uh, because that's the conversion that's where people go from converting from being prospects into customers right okay. is that trust portion and so what i try to teach people is that there's an equation to actually making it easier to build that trust so that you can convert better right um, you said it perfectly. People, it's so much easier for people to buy from you again when they bought from you before, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the trust quotient is up. They like who you are and things like that. Um, so it basically looks like this: it equals its trust equals and then in the in the top portion, right? So um, credibility, how credible you are, plus intimacy, plus uh, um, uh, oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> I, I, I totally blanked right now. Credibility, intimacy. And reliability. Yeah. Okay. And so, basically, you know, how credible are you? Like, uh, if you're a doctor, do you have a PhD? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Or if you're a physician, do you have a PhD? Um, intimacy. How well do you know me? And a lot of times, you know, it can be the fact that maybe you don't know me, but you know a guy that you that you really like, and they know me, so that can build up your intimacy, right? And then the reliability. When I tell you I'm going to do something, and this is super important in the sales process, right? When you sit down with someone, you're gonna, you, the best way to build up reliability is to create an agenda. Hey, today we're going to talk about this, we're going to also go over this, and then we're going to talk about some of your, your problems and issues, and then at the end of it, if we feel like it's a good fit, uh, we can move forward. <laughs> almost got to in time. Uh, okay. But basically, it's just the whole idea that, uh, so you create this agenda and you follow that, right? So that's building reliability, right? And then, when you, uh, then you divide it by self-orientation. so. I know it's it's so weird because it's so subjective to what you are to the the person, but then you divide all of those three numbers by self-orientation. And basically, self-orientation is all about what's in it for you, right? Is it the money? (laughs) You know? Um, Are we investing more time, maybe? Right? Or maybe I'm investing your talents, right? So um, when I ask you for something, that is self-orientation. It could be $25,000, right? Or it can be I'd like you to come volunteer <laughs> or it can be, um, you know, uh, I'd like for you to come, um, spend some time on a podcast with me. Right? So whatever that self orientation is, it's always whatever is going to be coming back to you. So you want to make sure you have high credibility. You want to make sure that you have high intimacy and you want to make sure that you're, uh, uh reliable. And that's what increases trustworthiness, which then increases conversion. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. In the end of the day, um, first of all,
0: I after this, I want to, if we have time, like actually write this down. I love this. <laughs> I think I want to use that. Um, but it's all about creating trust mm-hmm. in your book. Yep. How do you trust the person that's selling something? How do you trust the product or service that's being sold? How do you trust the company behind them? Mm-hmm. How do you trust the referrals? Mm-hmm. Like, are they even real referrals? Mm-hmm. There's so much that goes into building trust because, I mean, for a long time, I think that it was just a lot of uh, bad people running around scamming people.
1: That's still happening to this day, unfortunately.
0: It is, but also people are more aware of it now. That's true. Because um, I think it's just an evolution. It's like like cold calling people at 6 p.m. during dinner Mm. used to be a thing that worked. Right. Now... Like, everybody grew up doing that, and now it's just like, nope, not even answering the phone. Yep. Like, we have silence for a reason. Right. Or a silent option. Yeah. Like, it's just a constant evolution, um, and then there's always going to be people out there doing it. Like, now it's like text message messaging. Yeah. Which is highly effective, but there's also, uh, they're either going to buy from you, or they're going to fucking hate you. They're, yeah. So if you, you have to be, use it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's uh, it's a fine line to walk, Um because, I mean, at the end of the day, marketing, if you're good at marketing, then you have a powerful control over manipulation of people. And if you don't use that properly, <laughs> then it's you're just a bad person. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very easy once you understand how, because every human brain is manipulated very easily. Oh, yeah. And like, once you understand how people are doing it, it's even more frustrating when you recognize somebody's commercial doing it to you. right? And you're like, I know what you're doing to me and it's mm-hmm. still working.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was even gonna say to that point, um, cause you brought up a lot of key points, especially in sales. Uh, and I think in marketing is that at the end of the day, every strategy that's out there has a shelf life. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them, right? Uh, so if you're learning something from like five or six years ago, you're already outdated, right? Like the things that kids are learning in school outdated every single like two years or something like that right because something new is coming out Mm -hmm. right and to the point of what you just said right initially the fact is um with with, uh let's say calling somebody at six o'clock that used to work right because you're at home with family and you're like and you're calling and you're like hey don't mean to bother you i know you are having dinner with the family or whatever but now it's like people know when it's not a number that they realize you're getting hung up on Right. My phone even says potential scam now. Right. Like it's wonderful. That's my favorite thing. And so that strategy doesn't work anymore. Right. Especially in this new age. And I think that's where the, when I come back to the Significant Edge Academy, um, the Significant Edge is finding ways to innovate your processes. Right. When you look at Uber, they took a process and they innovated it and they made it better. And that's why they're, that's why they're "Quote unquote successful by the cash flow, not their profit loss. But. Oh yeah, <laughs> like they totally decimated the taxi cab industry. And but the taxi, the the, the uh, I'm not even going to go down that. <laughs> but like the taxi cab industry is so powerful that they were able to sustain and actually lobby against a lot of certain things. Right, like um, Uber is not allowed to pick up right in front of the airport anymore. You have to be like picked up like somewhere off whatever. So um... Just stupid things like that, right? Uh, but anyways. Yeah, then you're just getting into business
0: warfare tactics. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that maybe another podcast or something like that. We should definitely do more podcasts, <laughs> especially because we only got like 15 minutes. This is a busy man. He's like, you get an hour of my time today. And I'm yeah. like, oh man, I want to talk to you for like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you want to talk about
1: sales, I'm all game for like a whole day of conversation. I love it. I think and I uh, we're in a, a day and age where information is pretty prevalent out there, um, and I think doing things like this and sharing my knowledge is one of the key ways that, I mean, self-orientationally-wise, gets my name out there about what I do and how I can help people. And I think at the end of the day, my hope is that people don't need me, right? You know, Mm -hmm. long term, but they trust me to work with me anyways, right? Yeah. And and I think that's the ultimate goal for myself is um, really to be able to mentor people, not only in sales, but how can we take that money and flip it into making an impact? And so- That's been, that's my real true passion. Yeah,
0: so I I, I already know. So he has this wonderful project that he's starting called Yellow Threads. Get off of the sales for a little bit, but you just said that starting an impact, which I think is very important. Um, And I think we have just enough time to really like kind of dive into this. So Yellow Mm -hmm. Threads, I mean, I guess you can explain it best, so.
1: Yeah. Uh, so basically, uh, I have to say that my wife came up with this idea. She is the CEO of the company. And definitely give her the credit then. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. And and I give it to her because um, she is the epitome of what an entrepreneur and how an entrepreneur and how businesses get started, right? Um, so a little bit about Yellow Threads. Uh, we're a clothing company that manufactures fashionable and medically functional clothing for people that are undergoing uh, either chemotherapy or infusion treatment, right? Um, so... In essence, we create these really cool clothes that look normal, right? But also have certain medical function. Um, I would have never thought about this. I promise you that I would have never thought about this. Uh, but my wife saw, and you know, uh, not to get like any like too graphic, but like, you know, at the time I was 25, she was 24. She had a patient who came in who was 22 years old, stage four metastatic breast cancer. Um, she had six months to live, right? She just lost her breast, uh, mastectomy. Was losing her hair, and obviously her body's fighting against her, right? And she came in and she um, she was wearing like this really baggy sweatshirt, and my wife just asked her the simple question, "Why are you wearing this sweatshirt, right?" And it's not flattering. It's it you know she doesn't feel good in it, right? It's her chemo shirt, and uh, she said, "Well, it's the only shirt that I have that allows you easy access to my port because what they used to do is they used to tug and pull at their neckline to gain access to their port in their in their upper chest." And so, my wife is like, I think that's totally unfair. I don't, I don't think that any person should ever feel like they can't feel good while they're while they're going to their chemo treatment, right? So she, we literally were living in Minneapolis at the time, and she had this idea, and she said, What if we created something cute and we modified it so that it made it easy access to these ports? Uh, so we went to Target that night, trudged through the snow in Minneapolis to go to this Target, um, and walked back and. She created the first prototype and it worked. And so this idea then sparked into a business where then we were like, okay, like how can we manufacture this, right? And so we started manufacturing. Um, and just to, I mean, long story short, we were able to within our first year because we were getting donations and all these other things, uh, we were able to give away a hundred of these shirts to a hundred women across the nation, including London. There was one in London that we sent one to, which was pretty great. Uh, So, which makes us a global company, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we were impacted by giving away those shirts. So, our initial marketing, and this goes back to marketing and sales, Mm -hmm. was to sell directly to cancer patients. First off, how the heck do we find them? (laughs) Right? You know what I mean? Like, because a lot of people aren't open about their chemo treatment. So, then our second marketing strategy was to go after their friends and family. Well, how the hell do we find them? <laughs> you know what I mean. And so, uh, yeah, I, I doubt there's a public database. So. Exactly. And, and luckily, she's a nurse, and so we started going to all these nursing co- oncology nir- nursing conferences and telling them the nurses about our products. And then the nurses became our advocate, mm-hmm. right? And so now we're getting into hospitals, and the hospital it's like a little gift shop. So the nurses are like, "Hey, here's this flyer. Go grab yourself a shirt from downstairs." Blah blah blah. blah. Uh, so, our marketing strategy changed three or four times. And now we're at a uh, at a new level in our business where we don't even want the family or the cancer patient to have to pay for these shirts. So we're developing a Tom's model where you can buy a normal shirt, you know, which may be a little bit priced more than a regular shirt, yeah. but your shirt will pay for a shirt to be donated. And so um, that's where we're going with our strategy and moving forward. And uh, you know, I think it just shows that. For us, we wanted to make an impact, and it starts by finding a problem, right? Creating a solution, and then giving that solution out. That's, in essence, what a business is, right? And so um, that's our passion project. That's what uh, we're working on on the side of our jobs, uh, on the side of my Significant Edge Academy. um, And uh, really something that I feel I want to spark a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners to start thinking that way. Not thinking about like how much money I can make, but like what kind of impact can I make with me selling this shirt or me selling this product or me selling this service, right? Mm-hmm. And I think once you're able to make that switch from like, oh my gosh, this is all about me, that's when you start seeing that massive quote unquote success, the financial success, the travel, the money, the cars, right and um, i'm I'm like a man on a mission to to flip people's mindsets from success to significance. and so, uh, if I can do that and with this podcast, like, let's do it, you know? I love it. Sug- success to significance. I got to say that a couple
0: times. Success right. to significance. Five times faster. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's do this. Sign- success to significance. 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 Boom! And
1: he does it, folks. <laughs> First try. That was not easy. That took a lot of focus. I'm not going to lie. That was good. Oh, man. Good
0: job. So, uh, so, you seem to be... Like an entrepreneur kind of in the truest form, like you're, you're starting multiple businesses where you see opportunity. You're basing your businesses off of your skill sets, um, mm-hmm. yours and your wife's respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine there had to be a little bit of a seamstress training that went on there at some point. Uh, my mom, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: my wife, uh, my wife's mom loves to sew clothes, right? I think that actually the hard part was not even the seamstress aspect, but like. Going into like, I mean, we went to a manufacturer and they're like, oh, we can't do this. We can't do this. Blah, blah, blah. This needs to change and and whatnot. And we realized how small we were in this, like we were like, like this little tiny company in this big freaking ocean. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, we've realized that because uh, we, I think we ordered our clothes and they said it would be done in like two or three months. It took like six or seven months for them to actually complete our, our order. Because uh, you know people, they were like managing people like Zara and like some of these other big companies. Like, yeah, we're gonna figure them out first, and then we're gonna come come back to you. So um, we realized that uh, we need to become more powerful in that space. Uh, but once again, our, our big goal is to uh, figure out the marketing strategy or, or the sales strategy, what's gonna work, and then working with great marketing people like yourself and like taking two dollars and, and turning it into two thousand mm-hmm. dollars, right? So yeah. how how do we do that? Uh, but it first starts with me, us making that first sale, right? Yeah. Um, and right now, it's not scalable to get into all these hospitals. It's going to be scalable when we can sell a normal shirt for 25 bucks. but that shirt doesn't just you know, make you feel good because you bought a shirt, but it also allows us to give away a shirt as well. And I think keeping up with that model... Uh, Will help us become successful in the long run, but we have to see how it works.
0: We have to get it all in place. I love that. (laughs) So, are you still working on like putting the base pieces together? Are you already in some hospitals?
1: Uh, So, we're already in some hospitals. Uh, Once again, that's the second, no, the third marketing strategy that we took. The fourth one that we're taking that we're that that we're checking that I that we believe will actually lead to more success and 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 greater impact is going to be the one where we have Tom's model buy a normal shirt says. Something like Inspire on it, right? Um, at you know maybe like a thirty-five dollar price point, but that covers both that shirt and our and our tops for these for these men and women and kids actually. You know like you forget that kids are going through this as well. Uh, we are creating an entire kids line. So what we're trying to do is actually build build the infrastructure for the kids line, build the infrastructure for these uh, printed shirts, right? And then also um, establish the infrastructure for our uh, for our current women's line, right? And I think with COVID nineteen it makes it a whole lot more difficult. And I don't know if you guys know this, but it's very expensive to manufacture in the United States. Yes. So um as much as we like to say we tow hey, like all of our clothes right now are American made, um, it probably won't stay that way. Yeah, it's uh it's expensive.
0: It's not just expensive because outsourced labor is cheaper, it's expensive because since everybody started outsourcing, we've yeah. literally shut down all of the textile yep. industry in America. So when yep. we want to start textile industry in America again, they literally have to build the buildings, yep. they have to find the employees, they have to put the machines in place, yep. they have to be able to source the fiber, whether it's hemp mm-hmm. or cotton or polyester or whatever they're using. Right. And then also the techniques, the tactics, like everybody that used to do this and was good at it is probably eighty or ninety now. Yeah. Like
1: so <laughs> we don't teach it. We, yeah. it's, it's not it's not something that we uh, as a country uh look at as a high paying job, right? Versus like other countries where like, is it a job? I will take it. What do I need to learn? You know what I mean? And I think that's and not to say that, you know, these people in China and Mexico and, and Brazil and some of these other countries are not getting paid a lot. It's just more or less they grew up in a uh, in a society where it's okay to be a factory worker. Yeah. You know? And, I mean, and that's a big
0: point. Um, a lot of times, these outsource, and I'm not saying there aren't companies that aren't fucking people over. Yeah. But in a lot of these countries, when you're paying somebody $3 a day, like, that's actually good yeah. for them. Like it sounds horrible to us, Mm -hmm. but in a lot of these places, they actually have a job Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, They're getting decent pay. Like it's it's a totally different culture. It's totally different mindset. Americans are fucking lazy. First Mm -hmm. of all, like we just are, and we're soft, and we don't know what hard work (laughs) is. We don't know what real life threatening situations are. Mm -hmm. For the most, there's some cities that are pretty bad. But for the most part, like, we're just a bunch of fucking pussies. Yeah. Like, we whine and complain about everything. And these other countries, we look at them and we're like, we feel sorry for them. Uh huh. But they actually know what hard work is. They actually know that the human body can endure way more than we think it can. Right. Like, it just is. Um, So, but bringing that whole industry back, because everyone's focused on that price point. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be focused more on. Bringing the industry back, not so much for the price point, but just for bringing more jobs back into America. Yeah, and being able to provide more um, industry options and more—I don't know—availability
1: of resources, like for people like you trying to start this company. Yeah, you know, it—it it comes down. To, I mean, it's funny because Americans want jobs back in America, right? And getting people—I um, don't know. Uh, Into these factory jobs, and that's that's great and everything. But if you're also going to say that, then you can't worry about the price. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's. I mean, a lot of people are paying because of price and convenience, right? Why is Amazon so great? Because it's typically the lowest price, and you get your product like almost same day, right? Sometimes, and so a lot of times we forget that all of that takes money, right? And if we're going to bring bring jobs back to America. We Americans actually have to agree to the fact that hey, are we all willing to pay more for these products, you know, because if I can source it from China and get it for five bucks, right, and you know, plus the shipping fees and all that other stuff, um, and then I could and then or, or choose to buy it here in America, but it's fifteen bucks or sixteen bucks, you know, I have to make a profit too, right? Yeah, I have to be able to. I, I wish I could be at a point where this is just a, a fun thing and I don't yeah, have to get paid for it. I would gladly it. do everything that I do <laughs> in my business for free if mm-hmm. I
0: didn't need money. Yeah. Like I do my business because it's what I love to do. Right. But
1: you just need money in how our economy works. And, it, and I, I believe that statement because going back to why I initially sat down with you in the first place was because you're making enough money to survive and, and do well. In your in this current economy, right? Because before you were doing fantastic, um, but you're making enough to the point where you're still able to give back, and that that's why I was so interested in sitting down with you because you're like, hey, listen, if you're in the restaurant industry that got hit hard, um, I want to help you out. Right. There's a saying: you can never give too much that you become poor. Yeah, that's true. And and um, I think we and once again, this is just my thought and my feelings about it, but. Whenever you look at someone and their, their net worth, right? When right, and, and we talk about um, money as a monetary thing, most of them are ne- net worth positive because of the network that they have. And most of us don't have a really good network around us uh, because, I mean, what a lot of people are teaching right now, especially, I mean, I was, I was in multi level marketing for a while. And they teach you, hey, um, sell your family and friends on this product and how amazing it is. Now the fact is, if you were to just change up your mindset and say leverage leverage your family and friends, right? And just say, hey, you guys, uh, I don't want to sell you guys anything that you don't need. But do you think somebody, do you think you know somebody who might need something like this, right? Something who somebody who needs uh, toothpaste, <laughs> do you, you know what I mean, or whatever. And when you come at it that way, you're not. Diminishing your your network at all. You're leveraging it to get to people that that you need to get to. And a lot of times, when it, when you're leveraging your network, you still maintain your credibility, because I trust you. And if you're telling me to go work with some other dude, I trust you enough that I that you, that he did something good for you that I can go work with him. So the credibility stays there. Um, so I got I you know I think if we I mean and this is to all the network marketers out there who have a small business stop freaking selling your your network, right? Mm-hmm. Start building your network to leverage their network. And so, anyways, that's uh, uh that's where the power comes from, right? Because you may not have you may not have the resources. Maybe your network might not have the resources, but they may know somebody who has the resources that you need to help you
0: succeed. Exactly. And in lots of businesses, all it takes is one deal, change mm-hmm. your life. Yeah. You never know where that deal is going to come from, but you just got to keep pushing and yeah. pushing and pushing until it happens. Yep and letting people know about it. So, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm inspired today. Let's go. Thank you so much, Ashton, for coming today. Um, please tell the people where to
1: find you, um, and then tell them why they should find you. Uh, so if you guys are looking to just get free advice on how to close deals, how to overcome objections, how to prospect a little bit better, how to get more focus, how to follow up better, um, all the the processes of sales and becoming a better communicator, building your network and influence. These are the reasons why you would want to follow me. <laughs> um, so if you want to, uh, I'm very active on my Facebook. Uh, every Monday, uh, moving forward, I think right now is Ju- July thirty first. Yeah. So starting August, I'm starting um, a, like basically a weekly Monday morning, like make it make an impact um, Monday, right? Where I'm going to go live on Facebook. That might change in the future, but as of right now. Uh, I'm going to be just basically sharing my strategies, ideas, and ho- ways that small business owners and and sales professionals can go and make their massive impact in the world by closing more deals, increasing their income, increasing their impact.
0: Right. right. So, are you going to be doing that through your uh, Ashton Harvey, or are you going through your yes. business?
1: So, I'm going through my at Ashton Harvey. So, my my personal Facebook page. Once that starts blowing up, uh, probably will go to, uh, transfer to my my uh, my business page. So, uh, I think there's a link that we're going to be sharing. So yeah. there'll be one to the, the business page and then also one to my Facebook page. If my Facebook page starts getting up there, uh, you might want to go like my, my business page because that's where I'm going to start doing more of my lives then because I want to make sure that I'm, I can uh, expand my impact. And I know that Facebook with only 5,000 friends uh, yeah, right. can't really do it. Um, so as of right now, I only got 2,000. So there's t- still 2,000 more. Bit of room. There's a little bit of room to, to grow. So I'm active on, on Facebook and um, I'm also active on YouTube. Uh, So the Significant Edge Academy. Uh, And if you guys want to learn more about actually the Significant Edge Academy, uh, you can go to www.significantedge.com. Once again, I think that will be in the show notes as well. Yep. And, uh, yeah. and Oh, and if you want to learn more about Yellow Threads, I think this is more important than anything else. uh, I think it is as well. Um, You can uh, go to www.yellowthreadsco.com. All right, so yellowthreadsco.com. Because um, Yellow Threads was taken uh, on GoDaddy, so we couldn't use that one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're going to be honest here. Uh, so uh, we'd love for you guys to support. There's a way for you guys to actually donate shirts, uh, and, and we've uh, we we're proud to say that uh, that 100 has been uh, increased to 300 shirts donated. Um, nice. And so, you know, if you guys want to be a part of the movement uh, of making that impact in that in the the cancer world, uh we'd love for you guys to join us. So I love it. Thank you very much, Ashton. <laughs> Appreciate Wonderful it. talking. Thank you for having me.